Good afternoon, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today I will continue on with part two of the Decline of Our Society series, talking about how we got to this point and what we can do going forward. All next on Living with Liberty. Okay, so my last show was a bit of a downer. Collapsing society. History has proven time after time to repeat itself, leaving us in a cycle that we cannot climb out of. Now, as I teased at the end of my last show, I believe we actually have a few paths forward and that everything that has been done from a policy standpoint can be undone. Now, that doesn't mean that our society won't still be changed from everything that's gone on, from the policies that were in place and their impact up and to the point where we might be able to undo them. It doesn't mean we'll go back to pre-2020 or pre-1990 or pre-1970. We all have lived experiences and we all have memories of what's gone on. We've all learned from what's gone on. And we also have the damage that's been done psychologically by the left's attack on our cultural values and norms. And that won't be easy to undo. Still, from a pure policy standpoint and the changes that are put in place and actions that we can take, it all can be undone. Getting back to the constitutional way of law and order in this country can be done. We can go back to that. We we first have to understand and acknowledge a few things, though. First, we have to acknowledge that we are indeed experiencing all of the historical signs of a societal collapse. It's all unfolding right now, right in front of us. We have to be real with ourselves that this is indeed a trend our country is uh, heading down right now. Second, we need to know and understand what brought us to this point. We need to know what the root cause is of our current state. How did we get here? It's only after we understand that that we'll be able to fix it and try and turn the trend back around. The third thing is we need to realize that politics will not be the answer to solving any of this. Politics will not be the answer in moving us off this precipice of collapse. So how did we get here? How did we get to the point where we are steering at the collapse of our constitutional republic? It has been an aggregation of things, as it always is. There's no one thing that will bring a society down. There's no one thing that's caused us to get to this point. But there are a few key things that eat away at the culture of a society, and ours is no different. We've had, uh, in essence, uh, several of those same historical key things that have happened to us that have caused us to get to this point. And it's those key things that change our society, change our culture in such a way that it becomes unrecognizable to those who valued and cherished what that 
for our society stood for. Like it or not, the United States was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And those morals and principles and values are woven into our culture. They're woven into our constitution. They're woven into our ideals. Now, this is a completely different story than having an official national religion, which, of course, we don't have. We have religious freedom here in the United States. We may worship as we wish, and that right is protected by our Constitution. The principles, the, these Judeo-Christian principles, are something that every decent human being, whether here in America or elsewhere, should be able to agree with. and should be able to agree that we can live by them. These are all things we've heard espoused and we continue to espouse. They're things like we are all created equal. Everyone deserves justice and equal justice. We have the right to liberty, the right to life. These rights are granted by our creator, not the government. Our constitution merely protects them from the government overreaching and canceling those rights. You don't have to practice real, uh, the Christian faith to be in agreement with these values and principles. They're just good, solid principles that decent people uh, live by. Now, it's, in my opinion, been the eroding of the church in this country that has led us to the moral decay we see today. It's been one of those key factors. 70% of people in the United States were church members from 1937 to 1970. That then fell just a couple of percentage points to 68% through the 70s and up through the 90s. But from 1999 on, this decline in church membership has been steep with now only 50% of Americans identifying as having membership and affiliation in a church. Millennials in particular are, the less, are less likely to identify with a religion or a church. Only about a third do so. And if you think about it, who do we see out not so peacefully protesting? With the decline in church membership comes the decline in the ability to reinforce the message of those cultural values, those principles of the Judeo-Christian, of our Judeo-Christian origins, those things like tr the truth, justice, and equality, the fact that liberty is for all people, that all those things are for everybody. They're, again, granted by our creator, not a government, merely enshrined in our constitution, and protected by our Constitution, not granted by our Constitution. They are in our Constitution to be protected from a, a, an overzealous and overbearing government. Now, the turning from religion in our country has been so complete that those who still hold dear to their faith, Christian faith in particular, are mocked and ridiculed for doing so, despite this country's tolerance for religious freedom, and despite what we're constantly told about one particular group among us being the most tolerant of all. Moving the church out of the way has led to the moral decay we see 
uh, today eating at the soul of our nation. The thing about being part of a church and having faith is that leads you to an absolute truth. You believe in an absolute truth. What's happened from uh, as far as us falling away from the church is we've lost that. Truth has become subjective instead of absolute. We have, all have our own truth running around here. We see it manifest today in just this nonsense about systemic racism and white supremacy in this country. Do those things exist? Yes. Are they a systemic problem? No. And that's the absolute truth, that they are not a systemic problem. We fought wars. We had marches and movements to ensure and enshrine that we do not have a, a systemic racism problem or a white supremacy problem in this country. But with the decay and the falling away uh, of people falling away from church, truth becomes more and more subjective. It, truth becomes whatever the talking head on the idiot box tells us our truth is. And that becomes the reality because that's the perception. Perception becomes reality in that case then. And we end up with subjective truths that we've been battling for the last five plus years now uh, with Trump, you know, once Trump took office and now even past that uh, within to the, the first three months of, of this disaster, Harris Biden clown show. It's been the decline in the church uh, membership that has led to a lost sense of belonging and community amongst people. This sense of belonging and community fills a need. It fills a hole in our souls to to identify with with people and, and, and get together and gather with people and fellowship with people. We all have that need. Now, this loss of, uh, of community, because ch churches were the, the center of the community. They were the kind of social hub, you know, back in the day where all the big gatherings took place, where people got together to, to laugh and play and talk and share their lives with each other. This, the loss of this, the people turning away from the church, has led people to seek out other alternatives to try and fill that void in their lives. That's why we see the drug problems, the crime problems, gangs, alcohol problems, people just going and, you know, the one-night stands and the proliferation of just the, you know, moral decay of Hollywood and what's portrayed in our shows and movies these days. People turn to that stuff to fill that sense, that lost sense of community. It also has caused us the turning of, uh, away from church to seek out political solutions instead of those rooted in the absolute truth and in, in our you know, founding principles and our values. And those political solutions only serve to exacerbate our issues. Political solutions... In essence, entail that it's a power, uh, an accumulation of power with those political solutions. Whereas if you're rooted in truth and values, you know, truth is truth. 
there you know the the there's power in truth but once you subjectify it you start losing some of that as a nation what we have done is we've put many gods small g before god big g and we are, re- are really reaping the consequences of doing so now the next thing i you know as i view it uh what's led to our decline and as i've researched the declines this is a common theme that seems to pop up is the decline in the family unit that has also led us to this point it's been the casting aside of the father in the home that has left many children without balanced households children pick up different aspects of how to be an adult and how to function in society from both their parents From their mothers, they learn things like compassion and empathy. From their fathers, they learn more of the logic and discipline. Now, I am generalizing here a bit, and I'm not saying mothers aren't logical and disciplined and fathers aren't compassionate and empathetic. They both are. But mothers and fathers each bring a part uh, of that development to the table to create a whole. And generally speaking, mothers tend to be stronger on the emotional side of things and and be better with that. And fathers tend to be stronger on the logical side of things. It's how we each, man and woman, were created to fit the purpose of our creator's design and plan. A child is meant to have both parents to learn from in order to make their development complete. Now, since 1968, We've gone from 13% of children living in single-parent households to 32% of children living in single-parent households as of 2017. During this time, violent crime has increased. It started at about 180 instances per 100,000 people in uh, in 1960. And then as we went through the 60s, 70s, and 80s and into 1992, violent crime peaked at that point at 750 instances per 100,000 people. And then it started declining in 1993, no doubt with uh, some of the uh, crime bill reform, crime reforms, things like that, that went on during that time. And we, we saw that decline uh, from 1993 through 2014. Now, once we hit 2014, it started increasing again. Now, looking at this, is it a causal relationship? The amount of single-parent households increasing and the uh, increase that we saw in crime? Not necessarily. I don't think you can draw a causal relationship from there, uh, from that information. But I do believe there is some uh, correlation that goes on here. You think about... Uh, single-parent households, a lot of latchkey kids, uh, you know, and not not a, a lot of supervision because the parent, typically the mother, is, you know, has to work, right? Someone's got to support the family in those instances. So, you know, less, um, uh, less supervision, you know, couple that with, you know, if the father's not in the home trying to fill a void in, in the life of, you know, with, not having a, a father in in the in their life at all, not necessarily in the home, but in in you know involved in the kid's life at all, it, you know causes them to 
seek out a way to fill that void. So I do believe there is a bit of a correlation here as we've seen single parent households increase that, you know, we've seen crime increase. And granted, some of it, you know, is uh, goes down the line, right? It's not ki all kids doing this. It's not all, you know, adults doing it. It's, you know, kind of uh, a gateway type thing. But, you know, and I, I think as we've seen too with uh, the rate of single parent homes increasing, we couple that with church membership uh, and affiliation declining, you know, we've seen the crime rate increase. I think that all plays a part together. It's not causal, like I said, but you can correlate it. Now, is this to say that all single parent households contribute to juvenile delinquency or, uh, you know, kids coming out of there become delinquent adults or that people who don't have a membership in a church are criminals? Absolutely not. There are many, many children who come from single-parent homes, loving single-parent homes, that are successful. And unfortunately, as, you know, as it is, uh, there's a number of churchgoers and church members who do get caught up in crime. What I am saying is that while not a guarantee, being part of a community of faith and Having the love and support of a two-parent household gives a child a head start on the road to success. Uh, I, I think you also can buffer that as well, as long as the father is involved in that, that child's life. I think where it really goes off the rails then is when the, the father is not around or you know is totally in it, uninvolved. That's, that's where things really go sideways. You know, I, I realize there's reasons that... Um, you know, it's a single parent household and, and there's a lot of valid reasons for that. I, you know, I believe it. And it's really, it's not all, uh, it, it, as I did my research, it's not all divorce. It's, you know, just the, our society today, like I said, casting aside, I think a part of it's, some of it's uh, casting aside the role of the male in, a, in the life of a, of a child and in the, uh, the role in the household that the, the father has. Now, all this is, you know, is to say, if, if we look at, um, you know, one, one other thing here, I think in this section, kind of close this segment out with this, um, you know, we think about it and I, I, you know, being in Wisconsin Packer fan, Packer history, maybe not so much now that the NFL went woke, but, you know, back, back in, in the, the day, you know, before I was born, but um, Vince Lombardi is, you know, a legend here. Um, still a legend to this day. Everything is compared to Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi's priority list was God, family, and the Green Bay Packers. He understood that without the base of faith and family, a person would not achieve their potential because they didn't have this, the support structure of that faith, that belief, uh, you know, of God, that God was one, that God was the one that granted them their abilities and, and uh, you know, their uh, lot in life and the support of the family for, uh, you know, these players to, to, you know, stick with it. Someone had to take them to, you know, Pop Warner football as kids and was there to support them then and through high school and into college. Vincent Barty understood that 
God family and then Green Bay Packers was the recipe for success. If his players weren't right with either one, it carried over into their on-the-field performance. Now, if we translate that to our families, without proper perspective, without the will to hold the family unit together, without having some sort of uh, church membership and community, you know, I, I know a lot, there, you know, there's some that don't go to church. I, I get it, you know, but there's got to be some sort of community there, right? We all have the American values that we want to uphold. W- without those things, we see our society fall apart as our kids grow up incomplete. They grow to be continually searching for something to fill the void in their lives that really only God and family can fill. The last couple of reasons on how we arrived at this point, I believe, are apathy and complacency. And these have led us to buy into the lie that the government knows what's best for us and that they will solve all our problems and that only they can solve our problems. Our success as a society has led us to get complacent. We have been busied with distractions like TV shows, sports, and consumerism, and while we have had our attention elsewhere, our liberties were being eroded. Our society grew more ideological. Our institutions were overrun by a fringe ideology, indoctrinating everyone in its path. With success as a society, we've become less inclined to sacrifice to keep our society moving forward, to help others, and to help grow our community. We've grown fat and happy. We like our life just the way it is. We have very little sense of the sacrifices of the World War II generation that helped prevent fascism from taking over the globe. We have not had an event like that since, an event that caused everyone to unify and rally around a cause for an extended period of time. An event that caused people to have to sacrifice for a cause greater than themselves for an extended period of time. We have not had an event that has caused people to build a community. It's caused us to get complacent. We have whatever we want, when we want it, at our fingertips. Information, apps to order food for delivery right to our door, apps to order products for delivery right to our door. All of that has worked to make us complacent. It's all worked together to make us take our eyes off of what's really important. We no longer have the incentive to move ahead as society. We've gotten into this uh, comfort zone where everything is fine. We have a declining meritocracy because we have everything handed to us. And we have it handed to us without the sacrifice of having to reach for it and attain for it to set goals for it. Now this everything is fine mentality leads to apathy. It leads us to shrug and move on with life. We become so fat and happy with our distractions, with our being handed anything and everything we want or need that we've become numb to anything else. We've become resistant to sacrificing or having to reach and stretch ourselves to meet a goal. We have no interest in what is going 
on that actually has an effect on our lives. We accept, accept what goes on as just something that happens and brush it off. It, we don't take time to think about how impactful that truly is to our lives. We have accepted the leftist takeover of our institutions, particularly our schools. We have accepted crumbling infrastructure. We have accepted our jobs being moved offshore to other countries. We have accepted the endless foreign wars we send our troops off to in order to protect American interests, in quotes. And we have accepted that our elected officials are just going to do whatever they want to do anyway, so why bother contacting them? Why bother voting them out? The next guy's just going to do whatever he wants to do or she wants to do. But something happened in the last five years that may have been enough to snap us out of our apathetic, complacent stupor. Donald Trump came along and was elected to the presidency. He did what he said he was going to do. For the most part, we all know how uh, obstructed he was in some of his uh, agenda items. And for those four years that Donald Trump was president, you could see some of the old America returning. You could see the the pride in being, being an American returning. You could see our industries starting to come back. You could see it in the amount of people waking up to the fact that we would lose our country if changes weren't made. It makes me believe then that we can stem this tide of slipping totally into the annals of history as another failed civilization. Let's call it a a collapsed civilization. I, I think we've been very successful as a civilization, but you know, on the verge of major changes for sure, if we don't uh, stem the tide. And as we look at it, you know, I've, I'm going to note a few ways forward here. It, there's some things we need to do and understand as we move ahead. You know, these are only a few things. There's many, many other things we can be doing, but, you know, we'll go through just a few of them here. And the first thing is, and this is more of uh, something we need to understand. Politics will not solve the problem, only exacerbate it. We need to change hearts in order to change minds. We need a revival of two things in this country. We need a revival of faith. We need a revival of people accepting that there is absolute truth, and it's not what the idiot box is telling you. It's not what the politicians are telling you. It lies in, in having faith in, uh, in our creator. And the other thing, we need a revival of the respect for our Constitution and our history and the founding values of this country. Faith is what changes hearts, not politics. Politics hardens the heart and makes people entrench themselves in their position more. Politics is confrontational. Faith opens the heart to truth and reason. It makes the person open to see things they wouldn't see otherwise. We need to open that can of, of absolute truth. We need to open eyes to 
our constitutional values and, and that our country was has always had those values. Once we start changing the hearts, then we can start changing minds. And none of that has anything to do with politics. The next thing we need to do is, is fix the family. We have to get out of this man-bashing culture that's been created and recognize the importance of a strong father figure in the lives of our children as they grow and develop. Obviously, preference, you can tell my preference is a two-parent household. I realize that's not because of situations that happen. That's not always possible, and, and that's okay. Those things happen, but as long as as there's a strong father in a child's life, they will get a father figure, let's say, in that child's life, they will have that void filled. It may be their own father, it may, may be a divorce, but as long as the father is extremely involved in that child's life, that, that void gets filled. It's where the father is pushed out or just non-existent non-existent that 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 void opens up and the kid looks for some other way to fill it having that strong uh strong father figure in the lives of our kids helps them grow and develop and it's faith and family that go hand in hand it creates the firm foundation on which to build upon it creates that sense of community it creates the foundation on which we build our communities from then we must get out of our complacent and apathetic habits. It's not fine that our elected officials go against our wishes. It's not fine that our elected officials say one thing and do another. It's not fine that these major corporations are going to be in cahoots with the government and work in tandem to strip us of our rights. God-given rights. No corporation, no government grants us our rights. They are merely protected by our Constitution. Our Creator gives us our rights. We are born with them. It's not fine that everyone gets a trophy without earning it. It's not fine that meritocracy has gone, you know, the way of the dinosaurs, it seems here. It's not fine that we are uncivil to one another. It's not fine that it's zero, everything's got to be zero sum, that everybody has to be right. There's always, an, there's always two sides to everything, and there's always common ground because nobody is absolutely right. We need to return to holding people and companies accountable. We need to make sure our constitutionally protected rights are just that our government doesn't squash them, that these companies don't work to squash them. We need to make a pest of ourselves with our elected officials. Stop buying from companies that hate our beliefs. Now, we'll need to dig deep to beat the complacency and apathy of this, as it's pretty ingrained. There's still a lot of mindset of why do this, why do anything. It's not going to change anything Companies and uh, politicians are just going to do what they want to do. There's still a lot of defeatism out there. And you know what? It's, it's human nature to take the path of least resistance. And we need to be resistance, uh, resistant to apathy. The path of least resistance is to just throw our arms up and quit. 
but that if we want to maintain and, and keep our society from slipping over the edge, we have to be resistant to our apathy to that and work to fight uh, to keep it. So you remember last um, episode, I talked about us being in the age of chaos. How do we survive the age of chaos? Well, we're working on these uh, you know, four items I just laid out in order to restore our society. And I think some of it does bring civility back into our, uh, into our communities. Now, I'll cover a couple of ways here. There's definitely more ways uh, to do this. You know, I'm sure of that. Um, but I'm only going to cover cover a couple here that I just had off the top of my head. The first thing, our government is uniquely set up such that states have rights under the Tenth Amendment. We didn't see this in some of the past uh, civilizations that have gone by the wayside. We need to get a convention of the states together. That convention of the states is going to what uh, is going to be uh, the engine that brings about our ability to uh, make new amendments to our constitution for things like term limits for congressional members and the senators, balance federal budgets so we're not just constantly printing money, and it limits uh, places limits on the federal government's jurisdiction so they're not constantly reaching and overreaching into the state's rights arena. Along with this, states must continue the nullification of overreaching federal authority and executive orders. We've had many already doing this with uh, states passing Second Amendment sanctuary laws and uh, passing laws saying we're not going to be accepting, uh, you know, Joe Biden, we're not going to be accepting your busloads of illegal aliens here. The states need and should start forming alliances of their own against this out-of-control federal government. Now, Rome had a constitution like we did. Theirs was an oral constitution, and it changed constantly. Um, but it was ignored as its ruling elites went down the path to destruction, went down the path of accumulating more and more absolute power with the the Caesars. This is also playing out here as well. We, uh, our elected officials, particularly the Democrats, are ignoring our Constitution. Biden, in his State of the Union, openly admitted that the Constitution is not an absolute. Well, so what does that open? Uh, when you say the Constitution is no longer absolute, the Constitution is what keeps our com our country together. It is the fabric that holds our co country together. You get rid of the Constitution, the honest truth is we don't have a country anymore. We are not the United States of America. So if the, I, I don't think they understand or he understands or his handlers understand the the power of that statement and what that actually means. If the constitution is not an absolute, that means secession is on the table as an option for the states. Since they no longer have a legal binding contract, let's call it to keep them in the union known as the United States. Now would secession be a radical option? 
It absolutely would. It's been tried before. But as I look at it, and I look at how things are going, and I look at that statement, the states have a duty to their citizens and to protect their citizens. So if that means that we have a federal, an out-of-control federal bureaucracy, we have that next layer with the states that we can fall back on to protect our rights and freedoms, and they need to do that. So now, if the Constitution is uh, a subjective document now, as Biden seems to be proposing, then as I see it, states no longer have to abide by it either. That means we don't have a Constitution that it's subjective. That subjective that means uh, states have free reign on what they want to do. You want to leave the union? Do it. You want to stop paying federal taxes, income taxes? Do it. As we look at it, we essentially have redundancy in governance at this point. There's many, many uh, bureaucracies at the federal level that are duplicated at the state level. Uh, so as I see it, if, 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 big if, that path of secession is gone down, our states are already set up with governance systems in place. Men, they all have some something uh, like a constitution, whether it's called a constitution for that state or something else. In Wisconsin, it's called the state constitution. That governing document is in place. So we have that as a fallback. Our states can um, be our fallback and protection against the age of chaos. Now, one strategy that civilizations utilized when in the chaos phase uh, was a monastery system. Now, monasteries would serve as centers of trade, and they produced wealth through farming, winemaking, and small industry. This is another option, and one that is already underway if you think about it. It's that uh, parallel economy that's growing. It's the rumbles and the parlors and Lindell's um, social media site and Trump's if he gets going and MeWe. So we have those options as social media outlets. It's what Mike Lindell's doing and expanding into an e-commerce platform to compete against Amazon. That's part of the parallel economy, the parallel e-commerce economy. It's us being cognizant of which companies support conservative causes more than liberal ones and supporting those ones that, su that, that support the conservative causes. This, the parallel economy is going to be a key in surviving our chaos phase, or surviving the chaos phase. I say our, like we are kind of in it, I guess, is the point I made last time, but it's going to be at any rate key to surviving that chaos phase. Is the road ahead easy? Not by a long shot. There's many things we need to uh, we need to do. We have many hearts and minds to change. Is it achievable? Yes. Um, as someone that uh, is in the business world, this would be the ultimate of stretch goals. Those of you that are in the business world, I'm sure you're familiar with what a stretch goal is. This would be the ultimate stretch goal of returning our society back to something that, you know, resembles the uh, 
what the founding fathers had envisioned in in our constitutional republic. Um, it's 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 achievable, yes. Uh, with the amount of people that are waking up day by day, I think it is achievable. It's a big task, but it's achievable. It's going to take resilience, perseverance, and organization, especially from us conservatives who have traditionally not been good at organizing, not been good at the collective action. That's where our uh, we're going to make uh, make hay is with getting organized. It's going to take those three things big time to do it, though. It's going to take a collective effort. Like I said, we have to build our own, we have to build our communities. We have to uh, support, call it, support our monasteries uh, as we go through this and, and make sure we're, we're being judicious with how, who we're supporting and why we're supporting them. It's going to take getting out of our comfort zone, throwing aside our own apathy and getting involved in some small way. It takes all of us. It's, and it's not, it doesn't have to be anything big. It's going to take a willingness to sacrifice something in order to preserve our society and our country as we want it to be. Are you willing to sacrifice something for the cause to give up some little piece of of yourself or something for the greater cause of returning America to being America, to returning America to its founding ideals. Now, those things that could be sacrificed, it could be some time. It could be getting involved in your community. It could be getting involved in some sort of organization that, uh, some sort of conservative organization that's pushing, uh, you know, our constitutional ideals. It could be something like giving money to an organization like a Project Veritas or a Heritage Foundation that fight for conservative values and principles or fight to exp ex uh, expose corruption within just about everything. These days, uh, Veritas has had some really good stuff. It could be sacrificing the convenience of shopping on an Amazon and having stuff delivered right to your home. There's all other options. It's you know, that probably goes hand in hand, sacrificing the time to find those other options. But in the end, it'll be well worth it. It will be all of these small things, all the small things we do that add up in the end to the big thing of taking our country back. It's never all one big shot that uh, gains any sort of improvement or return to call it our return to our normal. It's not going to be one big thing. We're going to have to do a ton of small things, fight, scratch, and claw, be, res uh, be resilient and persevere. And if we do that and move together as one unit, we will take our country back. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com for original articles and resources to combat the leftist takeover of our wonderful country. Also, I'd be grateful if you subscribed to my show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth.
I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time. <laughs>